chapter 22, verse 41. In the fourth year of King Ahab's reign over Israel, Asa, son of Jehoshaphat, became king over Judah. Sorry, Asa's son, Jehoshaphat, became king over Judah. Now remember, Jehoshaphat has already shown up multiple times in the Ahab story. Because Ahab begins his reign at the end of um, Asa's reign. And then he ends his reign at the beginning of Jehoshaphat's reign. And Jehoshaphat's son had married Ahab's daughter to form a treaty and alliance. So even though we've been reading about him, he is just now officially mentioned. Verse 42, Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king and reigned over reigned for 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shelah, and he followed in his father Asa's footsteps and was careful to do what Yahweh approved. However, the high places were not eliminated, which is a reoccurring theme. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense on the high places. Jehoshaphat was also at peace with the king of Israel. The rest of the events of Jehoshaphat's reign, including his success, his military exploits, are recorded in the scroll called the Annals of the Kings of Judah. He removed from the land any male cultic prostitutes who had managed to survive the reign of his father Asa. There was no king in Edom at this time, and a governor ruled. Jehoshaphat built a fleet of large merchant ships, which is not good, to travel Orphra for gold. But they never made the voyage because they were shipwrecked in Ezron Geber, which makes you wonder whether Yahweh did that, especially the fact that the narrator points that out. Then Ahaziah, son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my sailors join you in your fleet. But Jehoshaphat refused. Jehoshaphat passed away and was buried with his ancestor in the city of his ancestor David. His son Jehoram replaced him as king. Some of your Bibles may have Jerome. Jehoram and Jerome are the same guy. It's like William and Will. So Jerome is just a shorter version of Jehoram. So he is replaced. So his son is Jehoram of Judah. Now we come back to the north, the king of Israel. And Ahab is dead, and his son is going to take over. In the 17th year of King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Ahab's son Ahaziah became king over Israel in Samaria. He ruled for two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of Yahweh and followed in the footsteps of his father and mother. Like Jeroboam, son of Nebat, he encouraged Israel to sin. He worshipped and bowed down to Baal, angering Yahweh, God of Israel, just as his father had done. So the mention to Jeroboam is he's worshipping the golden calf, but he's also worshipping Baal like his father did. That is the end of 1 Kings. However... First Kings ends and Second Kings begins right in the middle reign of Ahaziah. So remember, the break between chapter First Kings and Second Kings really has to do with everything with us running out and starting a new scroll. Why in this printing press day and age we've kept them separate, I have no idea, but they really should be seen as one book. And as we read, you'll realize that literally 2 Kings picks up right where the 1 Kings left off, just like 2 Samuel picked up right where 1 Samuel picked off. Chapter 1, verse 1. After Ahab died, Moab rebelled against Israel. Ahaziah fell through a window lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and was injured. He sent messengers with these orders, Go ask Baal Zabub, the god of Ekron, if I will survive this injury. So he is sitting in his window and he falls out. 
and he falls to the ground and probably has a back injury because the fall is so severe that he's wondering whether he would live or not. If he's just broken an arm or leg, probably not likely. So probably a pelvic or back or something that's going to really be serious. He's worried. So he sends his servants to go consult Baal Zabab. Now we mentioned this already. The real name of Baal is Baal Zabol. And Baal Zabol basically means Lord Prince. can also be Lord of the Temple, Lord of the Prince, Lord of the House, something like that. But the prophets don't call him that. The prophets call him Baal Zabub, which means Lord of the Flies, and specifically connected to the fact that flies fly around dung. So basically he's Lord of the Dung, or Lord of the Outhouse. And that's the idea. And so this is a trash talk that the prophets are constantly saying. So there's no way that Ahaziah is like, go consult Lord of the Dung to see if I'm going to get better. But because Yahweh controls the narrative, he can say whatever he wants and call Baal whatever he wants. So the moral of the story is he is called Baal Zebub, Lord of the Dung, Lord of the Poop, Lord of the Flies. And he wants to know, but Yahweh's angelic messenger told Elijah the Tishbite. This is the second time that Elijah's come back in the story since his disobedience to God. Get up and go meet the messengers from the king Samaria. Say this to them. You must think that there is no God in Israel. That explains why you are on your way to seek an oracle from Baal Zebub, the Lord of the Dung, the God of Ekron. Therefore, this is what Yahweh says. You will not leave the bed you lie on, for you will certainly die. So Elijah went on his way. So God already knows this happening. So he tells Elijah to intercept these messengers, tell them, why in the world are you consulting a false god that can't help you when there's a Yahweh in the land, a Yahweh, when Yahweh is in the land, therefore, because you didn't consult me, you're going to die. You're not going to survive. So this is judgment. Now remember, God already pronounced every male in Ahab's family was going to die. Verse 5, when the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, why have you returned? They replied, a man came to meet us and he told us, go back to the king who sent, um, who sent you and tell him this is what Yahweh says. You must think there is no God in Israel that explains why you're sending for an oracle from Baal Zebub, the God of Ekron. Therefore, you will not leave your bed you lie on, for you will certainly die. The king asked them, describe the appearance of this man who came up to meet you and told you these things. They replied, he was a hairy man, and he had a leather belt tied around his waist, and the king said, that is Elijah the Tishbite. What's interesting here is that he's a hairy man. Literally in the Hebrew it says that he's lord of the hair. So like he's a hairy man. So the idea, there's a, a pun going on here where they're consulting the Lord of the Dung, but the Lord of the Hair has intercepted them and told them to go back because he's going to die. So there's this idea here. He has a very John the Baptist kind of appearance to him, even though John the Baptist is going to come much later. So he's wild. Like, there's nothing proper about this guy. I'm telling you, I, I've never mentioned this before, but if Elijah... And like some of these guys, Jeremiah, even Jesus walked in our churches and applied for a pastor. We would never hire these people. We would never. If this guy came in with that hair and wild animal skins and a belt just holding it all together barely, we'd be like, no way. So he immediately recognizes Elijah, the thorn in his side, so to speak. 
the king sent a captain and his 50 soldiers to retrieve Elijah. The captain went up to him while he was sitting at the top of the hill and he told him, Prophet, the king says, come down. We have this imagery here. Once I told you before, there's an imagery of being high. The cosmic mountain of Yahweh, so to speak. And just like Elijah went into the upper room and raised the boy from the dead, he went up to the top of Mount Carmel and brought down the fire of God, and now he's on top of a hill, which is invoking this imagery of God's authority being high up. But what's also interesting is that an old man with wild, old, crazy hair and animal skin does not seem as much of a threat to 50 soldiers and their captain. But yet, the fact that he's at the top of the hill and they're at the bottom visually communicates a greater superiority and authority as he speaks to them. So they come with hubris and authority. And they basically, with great confidence, yell him and say, Man of God, get down here now. Now, we already know the kings have tried to kill Elijah before. And so there's no, no reason to think this is otherwise. But remember, if he truly is the word of God, as in like the voice that speaks God's word, and he is God's image and God's representative, then the way you treat the prophets like you're treating God. So basically, these men are coming and basically saying, Yahweh, you obey us, and you come with us. That is what's considered a high-handed sin. So this is a blatant disrespect to Yahweh's authority, challenging him in a superiority to Yahweh. Elijah replied to the captain, If I am indeed a prophet, then may fire or lightning from the sky consume you and your fifty soldiers. And then fire came down from the sky and consumed him and his fifty soldiers. So God is punishing them for their blatant disrespect of him. That they're challenging. Now remember, this isn't just disrespect. This is the way that they're, um, they're, 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 they're putting themselves above Yahweh. And they're challenging Yahweh. And they're threatening him. And they're taking his man. And Elijah just very calmly says, If I really am the man of God, then do you realize what you have just done? May God deal with you. And just like at Mark Carmel, fire comes down from the sky and consumes all 51 of them. All 51 of them. This is harsh, but this also lets you know how seriously God takes these kinds of sins, a blatant disrespect of Yahweh. Verse 11, the king sent another captain with his 50 soldiers to retrieve Elijah, and he went up and he told him, prophet, this is what the king says, come down at once. And Elijah replied to him, if I am indeed a prophet, then may fire come down from the sky and consume you and your 50 soldiers. Fire from God came down from the sky and consumed him and his 50 soldiers. So it's another 51 people. Verse 13, the king sent a third captain and his 50 soldiers. This is like the three little pigs or something like that. (laughs) This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah, and he begged for mercy. Prophet, please have respect for my life and for the lives of these 50 servants of yours. Indeed, fires come down from the sky and consume the two captains who came before along with their men. So now please have respect for my life or mercy on my life. Yahweh's angelic messenger said to Elijah, go down with him. Don't be afraid of him. So he got up and he went down before him to the king. Now the difference is this captain then submitted himself before the authority of God. 
but he also pleads his case. He says, look, if I come back to the king without obeying him, then he will kill me. But obviously, if I demand and treat Yahweh in this way, I will be killed. So I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place, basically. Yet Yahweh is more merciful than kings. And so he begs for mercy. At this, God forgave him. Because a humble man who surrenders himself before Yahweh has shown grace. So Elijah goes to the king, verse 16. This is what Yahweh says. You sent messengers to seek the oracle of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, and you must think that there is no god in Israel from who you can speak an oracle. Therefore, you will not leave the bed you lie in, or you will certainly die. He died, just as Yahweh had prophesied through Elijah. In the second year of the reign of King Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat over Judah, Ahaziah, so he died. So all that worked for nothing, because Elijah just basically said, I already told you, and then he dies. So those men lost their lives because of the hubris and the arrogance of Ahaziah. Now Ahaziah died without any kids. In the ancient world, to be without children is considered a huge disgrace, and even often sometimes seen as a curse or a judgment from the gods. And so he is left without any children, and so his brother, the other son of Ahab, now becomes king in his place. So Ahaziah's brother, Jehoram, replaced him as king of Israel because he had no son. The rest of the events of Ahaziah's reign, including his accomplishments, are recorded in the scroll caught on the annuals of the kings of Israel. There is a Jehoram, who is the king of Israel right now, the son of Ahab. And there's a Jehoram, who is the king of Judah, the son of Jehoshaphat right now. So both the king of Israel and the king of Judah are both Jehoram. Some NIVs call one Jehoram and the other Jerome because they're trying to clear up confusion. But there's really no reason for that, really. 